Broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. We got a good one for you this week. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on the network or by downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Please like it. Subscribe to us, share it with your friends because uh, we got a good show. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of waterfowl with Thomas Hoke, Hoke Outdoors on YouTube. He's got a YouTube channel that uh, has all sorts of waterfowl content on it. Plus, he works with DRC Calls and Corey Loeffler up in Northwest Minnesota. So we're going to talk a little bit about working with Corey, what that's like, and uh, talk about some of his his kayak hunting adventures. In fact, this is uh, part one of a two-part series with Thomas. We'll have Thomas this week and next week here on the show. We've also got Ben Bredigan from OnX coming up this week. He's going to talk about uh, planning hunting trips because well, here we are, Dan. That's Dan Amundsen over there, by the way. Dan, how you doing? Hey, doing well. It is. Uh, it's the last. It's the last month of the hunting season. Yeah, and we're still in Alaska, even though you're watching us here. Yeah, I you know soak that one in. We, I'm not ready for it to be over like every year, so I think we'll have to extend our season a little bit with some trips. Um, maybe some South Dakota pheasant trips or somewhere down South. I know Ben Bredigan travels all over uh, after the seasons here and, and we'll get some tips from him on traveling for hunting trips and, and man going down South, like he hunts down where there's, where there's a lot of cacti and how you deal with that with your dogs. I mean, trying to stop your dog from running through a bunch of cactuses has got to be uh, next to impossible. So how how you, he deals with that, we'll talk to Ben about that. And if you want to take a winter trip to the Northwest Angle this year for ice fishing up at Lake of the Woods, Joe Henry has got all the details on how you can do that coming up this week. Dan, who are the sponsors? This week we have OnX. Nor you stand with OnX Hunt at onxhunt.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital. Plan a trip for this winter at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Live Target. Match the hatch at livetargetlures.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake at haybellheights.com. Alclare Audio. Save your hearing in the field with Alclare. Learn more at alclare.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter this winter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season starts in January, but you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And ICAST and FTEX winner, the live shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. It's ice fishing season and time to plan your trip to Riverbend Resort on Lake of the Woods. Stay at the Lakeside Resort along the Rainy River in one of their new cabins and enjoy delicious meals and hot or cold beverages in the Miles Lab Bar and Grill. Or stay in one of their comfortable sleeper houses on the ice complete with a TV, stove, and lots of walleyes right beneath your feet. You also have the option of staying at their motel, the Walleye Inn, located in Bidet. Book your ice fishing trip to famous Lake of the Woods today at riverbendresort.com. That's riverbendresort.com. Well, late season is the best season, if you ask me, uh, particularly when it comes to pheasant hunting. Man, I love pheasant hunting later in the year, uh, December. I know some people, you run into birds that have been hunted, so they get a little bit warier uh, throughout, the, throughout the year as it gets later and later. But 
They tend to be concentrated in the thicker cover. You can find them if you're willing to put the work in. Sometimes you're trudging through snow. Uh, sometimes you're not. Uh, but it's my favorite time to go. Ben Bredigan from Onyx is going to join us now to talk more about late season hunting. And then once our season ends here, what it's like to plan a trip to go out of state. Ben, how you doing? I'm fantastic. Is it pheasant time for you? Have you put the grouse away or do you still plan on chasing grouse a little bit? No, uh, it is, it's full on pheasants now and then start to transition into some quail and other things. But yeah, for me, this is time to hunt pheasants because a lot of people are, you know, they're hanging up their stuff. They're thinking about ice fishing and this is prime time to chase pheasants. That That's just it. And I know most of the time later in the year, a lot of times you get, especially public land to yourself, particularly mm-hmm. if we've had some snow or some bad weather. But I know some of these milder winters we've had the last couple of years, I've had to compete with guys the last week of the season out there. So I think the message is getting out that late season can be pretty good, especially if it's a little bit warmer out. Well, it's going to be awful this year. So <laughs> Everybody else stay home. Just yeah, stay exactly. home. <laughs> so when it comes to uh, late season pheasants, uh, ben, do you have spots that you just tend to kind of migrate to or will you pull open up your laptop pull open on x and say hey that looks like that's the kind of cover that i can find birds in late season i'm gonna go try to hunt that this year yeah i'm always trying to find new spots you know i will go back and hunt some of the spots that i just know are proven performers but a lot of the times i'm going to different areas and you can always find more spots right so um what i what i kind of do is i I am envisioning, I'll look at a spot where it's like, okay, this, this is a really good spot um, and try to break down the components of why that's a good spot. So for example, you know, a lot of the times they're going to be keyed on cattails. Uh, it's just great thermal cover. Um, love hanging out in there, but then with that, you also need a food source. So a lot of the times I'm going to be looking for that thick cover on um, whether it's cattails or, you know, just like native prairie. But the thing about when you're looking at grass is it, if it snowed, um, you know, those cattails hold up a lot better to snow than grass. You, know, you could have grass in October that's chest high. You get one snow and it's not going to hold the bird. So a lot of times cattails next to a good food source, um, you can look at shelter belts, that kind of thing. Again, just providing that thermal cover, that protection against, you know, the elements, whether it's wind, snow, et cetera. Um, and then, and then find those that'll, you know, join together, then I'll just keep and just go keep picking around on the computer and say, okay, this one looks good. This one looks good and mark all those spots. And then, you know, before you know it, you have a laundry list of different areas you can go and check out. I've been using the, the tree species layer mm-hmm. uh, on Onyx a lot more lately. And I think that'd be a great one to use for looking for that thermal cover for late season pheasant hunting. Yeah, for sure. You know, if I like to, it's a little bit more rare probably in your neck of the woods, but find those, those cedar belts and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it can make for some fantastic hunting. And this year, everything being so dry, uh, cattail, those cattail sloughs, like I, it was kind of a badge of honor for me. If I came back and dumped my rubber boots up, you know, took, tipped my rubber boots upside down and just had water pouring out of them. Cause I knew I was going places, you know, anytime any time of year, you got to go, you got to go where the other people won't go. And late season, particularly, I'm breaking through ice all the time. And uh, I, I don't think I'll have to do that this year, Ben. 
it's not looking like it. You know, it's it's pretty dang dry out there. But um, you know, that means that you know, if it's you get some warm spells, we're not getting you know, we're we're not getting ice, snow, etc. You know, you don't have to wait for it to freeze up to get out and hunt those areas. Have you ever have you ever taken a boat to pheasant hunt? trying to think here i oh i did i did in south dakota actually on the missouri river just trying to access some core land um not because of ice or anything but that was that was a pretty cool hunt yeah i think i've seen i think i've seen a tv show about that actually i think uh maybe the, the flush, flush. yep yeah yeah did it go did you shoot some birds oh yeah it was really good you know just areas that you could get to it by walking but you'd have to walk like five miles oh yeah versus just a 10 minute boat ride if it was windy it would be like a i'd probably never get their boat ride but (laughs) that day was pretty calm so i like the 10 minute versus the five mile walk way better but i will say this i was just telling somebody about this the other day like pheasant hunting to me part of part of the reason i enjoyed so much is because of the exercise and the walking that you do and not just the, the cardio that you get out of it, but the enjoyment of, of doing it with your dog or dogs. And then, uh, just seeing, seeing parts of the world that other people don't see and seeing the wildlife, you know, that inhabit those places that those are some of the, like, I I went on, I went on a walk the other day and I ended up in a place I'd never walked here, walked in that piece before. And I ended up coming into an area that I was just like blown away by the wildness of it. And it, it was so cool to be in that moment. Well, I don't even remember if I shot pheasants back there or not, but it, it, you know, and I don't want to say like, Hey, when someone says, let's go on a hike, I just like (laughs) hiking's not really for me, but the hiking is probably what I enjoy about pheasant hunting uh, the most, just because you end up in some really cool places when you're out there. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I'll start off by saying I hate exercising. So, <laughs> like, yeah. like I call it hiking. I call walking without a purpose. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But but you throw dogs in there, and then it instantly changes. I'll go hike wherever you want to. I don't call it hiking because I hate that word. Right. Call it dog training. <laughs> That's dog training. That's right. Getting them in shape yeah. for the season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I love it. Like it's, it's my gym. Cause I can't go to the gym. I, I just can't do it. I've tried. I don't like it. I don't like the exercise. I don't like working out, but man, yeah, you, you give me an orange vest and throw a shotgun in my hand and I get to watch my dog run in circles, uh, in front of me. It's, uh, you can't beat it. Uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you racked up 15 miles and some consider that the E word. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Well, you know, I love doing it so much and I have yet to go over and take advantage of the extended season in South Dakota in January, but I know, um, kind of trying to work on planning a trip over there this year, would like to try it out. And then I, one of these years I'm going to get to Kansas or Montana or somewhere and do, you know, kind of extend my upland season a little bit. You know, I've traveled for waterfowl in January and February and March and April and May actually, uh, but never done it for Upland other than, you know, maybe that first week. Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit last year, but if somebody was going to say, Hey Ben, I want to take a trip. I want to do something once the, once the pheasant season closes here. Uh, I want to take a trip somewhere. What are you going to tell them about where to go and how to plan for it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a nice thing. Like we're done in December here. So there's, you know, a whole other month that up here, unless, you know, unless you're out ice fishing, um, it's cold, nasty. You got a bunch of snow up here. 
like you said, you can go to South Dakota. If you want to go chase more pheasants, I tell people go to South Dakota, especially the further west you go, the more temperate it gets. It, it, you're not going to get those cold temperatures. You know, you'll get a lot of the times in January, you know, I've been out there in 50, 60 degree, degree days where it's just downright nice. So, um, but what I tell a lot of people is, is you know, go, go to Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma and go chase quail. Hmm. Um, you know, we can chase pheasants up here for, for two and a half months. So go do something different. And that's why I love, you know, if I'm going to go to Kansas or Nebraska, a lot of the times, you know, I'll run into an incidental pheasant or something that, like that. But a lot of the time I'm chasing Bob Whites and that's, that's just a super fun trip. Um, you know, the right now, Kansas is a little spotty, just they've had some moisture issues, but it's actually hurt the pheasant population more than I've heard it's hurt the quail. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting down there and, and chasing after Bob Whites. Um, you know, this is probably a little bit more extreme, but heck, you can head. I'm, uh, I've got a trip where I'm going out to, um, going out to Idaho and Western Montana, and we're going to go chase after uh, chucker and Hungarian partridge. Oh boy, and quail out there. So that'll be an interesting one. Interesting one that I might need some more of the e word. <laughs> well, so, yeah. So chucker. Like, like growing up, my experience with Chucker was, oh yeah, that's the, that's the extra bird you get sometimes at a game, you know, that guys will shoot at a game farm, you know? And then when you hear about chasing them in the wild, like you're, you're putting on miles and you're going straight up a lot of times for those birds. Yeah. I've, I've never done it before. So I'm, uh, I don't know what to expect to be honest, but I can just put one foot in front of the other. And as long as the dogs are in shape, I'll make them do most of the work. (laughs) That's the beauty of having dogs. That's why you get the dogs, right? Yeah, exactly. They go through the thick stuff and the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. So quail hunting, I would like to do it this year. I've never actually been on a a real quail hunt, never really targeted them, gone gone out of state to go after them. Uh, What should I expect? What do I need to bring? Well, it, it's a it's a fairly simple hunt. I mean, pretty much everything that you need for pheasant hunting, get for quail. The nice thing is, generally walking for quail is going to be a heck of a lot easier, as they prefer, um, you know, a lot uh, more open bare ground versus pheasants, where it's got to be thick essentially. So if you're walking in pheasant cover, that's not going to be good quail cover. Um, I we recorded a master class back in uh, October with Thronex with Chad Love. And Andy Edwards uh, of Quail Forever, and we we went through and broke down um, some great information about how to find new quail spots, as well as we put out a video that'll be on the uh, Pheasants and Quail Forever YouTube channel that you'll be able to watch that'll um, show a late season hunt from Kansas last year and kind of how we went and picked apart cover and what good cover looks like. So um, those are two great resources to kind of go out and and. Just if you're driving down from Minnesota or the Midwest here, um, make it a little bit more obtainable. Make it easier to find those birds. Are you shooting like seven and a halfs at them or what, sixes? What are you shooting at these birds? Yeah, so for, if I'm just if I'm going after specifically quail, I know it's like this is pretty much a quail spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll shoot. Uh, you know, you can shoot trap loads at them, seven and a halfs. Um, I shoot boss number sevens, two and three quarters. Um, the nice thing is, is you'll be able to do that. Uh, I'll shoot sixes, boss sixes for, um, for pheasants and quail. So. All right. 
what other trips um what's the what's the furthest you've traveled for an upland hunt oh i've been down to arizona that was a good one that was about a 24-hour drive i'm um, going went and hunt uh Merns and gambles down there uh, that was nice. That was in January. That was actually in February. The season closes like sometime the second week of February, depending on how the how the days lie. And that was great. I went golfing. <laughs> it was nice. It was a nice trip for sure. So uh, that's probably the farthest I went. Uh, we'll see. This this trip out to Idaho will probably be a good 22, 23 hours. So did you deal with cactuses at all with your dogs down in Arizona? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So when I was hunting the burn stuff, um, that's a little more gentle. That's rolling hills. You've got these oak savannas, that kind of thing. Um, so that was that wasn't bad on the dogs. But then when you go down and hunt gambles, like the, your traditional desert, you could see the saguaro cactuses and all that kind of stuff. Then I definitely had to have boots on them because they couldn't walk. Gosh, they couldn't walk ten feet without. Mm being covered in, in old cactuses. You've got, uh, they call it jumping choya and teddy bear choya and, and just some nasty stuff. Everything down there wants to poke you or kill you. So, Man, that stuff, you know, that would make me a little bit nervous. But I'll tell you what, I, I ran my dog through some cattails the other day, and it was also like some old some old trees or old willows where you see the old dead ones where they're just up a little bit higher than the cattails. And then when you get down into it, a lot of them are broken off at about a foot, mm -hmm. foot and a half high. And they're pretty sharp. And Tiny mm -hmm. is is not a big dog. And a lot of times she's bouncing through all that stuff. I, I actually kind of pulled her out of there. I was getting a little bit nervous about her bouncing through with those sharp little, little stumps that sit down yeah. in there. Have you, do you run uh, vests or skid plates or any, any sort or you, if you, do you keep them out of cover at all like that for protection? I don't run any, any vests or skid plates or anything like that. Um, you know, in those areas, like for example, if you're grouse hunting a lot, you know, some of those early cuts, those new cuts that are, you know, you, there's a lot of slash in there. That's, that can be super rough on dogs. So I try to like, if, if there's an area where there's a bunch of slash, I'll pull them out of there. Um, just because a, it's hard on their body, right? You're, yeah. you're jumping over, jumping over logs. There's really no good footing for them. So a lot of potential for injury. There's a lot of those stops like you were talking about. Um, so I try to avoid those areas, but you know, at the end of the day, you can't, you know, you can't prevent their yeah. hunting dogs. It's, it's something's going. Well, thankfully, I got lucky and haven't had any serious injuries uh, with my dogs. But Ben, um, going back to traveling, I bet, I bet having Onyx really is key if you're going to travel to new states for a trip like that. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's just going now. I can go with the confidence of knowing that you know I might not, I might not get into the mother load of birds, but at least I can go out. I. I feel dangerous every time I get go out into the field. It's like, well, I've got a chance at getting after him. At least I'm no, I'm in the right area. I'm hunting on public. I know where to go. Um, versus before you think about, you know, you a lot of times you didn't take a big trip unless you knew someone that had been out there. You were going with someone that went out there or had li or lives out there. So now, you know, it's like I want to go hunt chucker. It's like, well, I've got the tools I need with Onyx to, to, to get me in the right area. So um, it's just a huge confidence boost when you're taking these out-of-state trips. Well, good luck in all your adventures the rest of the year. 
Ben Bredigan from Onyx, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, once again, we're going to head up to Lake of the Woods, check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism. Joe, I finally had the chance to go to the Northwest Angle via the road through Manitoba uh, when we did our cast and blast trip up to the Angle to shoot uh, divers out of layout boats earlier this year. You know, prior to that, Joe, I'd been to the Angle twice, only in the wintertime, both times in the wintertime, and by pretty unique ways. And once was across that, that first year that they built the ice road during the pandemic when the border was closed. Uh, they built that, man, that that ice road, which was so much work and a lot of money. I've uh, got to experience that. Uh, and that, I mean, I, it's a toss up to me, which one was more unique, doing that or taking the snowmobile route 42 miles. And obviously that's been around forever. So that's technically more common, but that's a pretty unique way to get up to the angle too. Well, there, there's a lot of ways to get up the angle, you know, and uh, um, the, the one thing I think was kind of fun is when we shot an episode of Prairie Sports Spin and did the snowmobiles up there, you had a brand new videographer. This was his first uh, project. <laughs> and we took him out and it was like 25 below zero. So cool. And we put him on a snowmobile yeah. and uh, we took him 42 miles across Lake of the Woods. Yeah, I remember him getting in the truck afterwards and going, hey, gu- hey guys, what does frostbite look like? well you know i I tell you when you're going across uh, in those kind of temperatures if you remember we uh, we really made sure that every part of our skin was covered and then remember we would stop about every five miles just to check in everybody make sure everybody's with us everybody's got the thumbs up on those sleds and then we'd continue on but but to me um, and we had, if you remember uh, we had Polaris sleds that were real new sleds so they're very reliable they're nice Um, you know what? They were, they were super nice. You know, uh, if you remember, though, that was a very enjoyable, memorable trip, taking the sleds across like that. And you know, so th- there's two ways to get up to Lake, uh, to, up to the Northwest Angle. One way is you can drive up there with your vehicle. Now, if you drive up to the Northwest Angle, you have to drive about 40 miles through Canada up the western side. And then you enter back into Minnesota up at the Northwest Angle. Now, that means that you have to have, you know, a passport, um, a passport card or like an enhanced Minnesota driver's license. And, um, other, you know, other than that, you really don't need much. You don't need a COVID test anymore. You don't need to use the Arrive Can app anymore. However, you can if you like to use it. If you already have it set up, it's easy. But but they've really lifted the restrictions of going up there now. So driving up to Canada is really cool. I think the other thing that's neat about going to Canada, as I always tell my uh, my friends and family, is like, okay, when you're driving up to the Northwest Angle, you're going to go through a little town of Sprague, Manitoba. Yeah. You know, they have a little grocery store there, Carl and Kay's Fine Foods. And, you know, uh, you go in there and now they got the, the different things you can only get in Canada. 
the coffee crisp candy bar, the English toffee, the different kinds of Canadian jams, the uh, the uh, Canadian rye bread that's made at these famous Winnipeg bakeries. You can only get it in that geographical region of Canada. It's kind of like a cracked wheat, but those are things that are unique. You know, it's like when in Rome, eat as the Romans, right? A lot of people will stop there and bring that up on their uh, trip to the angle. And then, of course, when you get up there, it's kind of cool, too, because if you're going to stay at a, an Angle Inlet resort for ice fishing, you drive right to the right to the resort and, and you're, you're at home base. You're ready to roll. Now, if you're staying at an island resort, they have ice roads up at the Northwest Angle. Now, the ice roads up there are really meant for just simply transportation to the island resorts. They don't have ice roads up at the angle that you fish off of. They're, they're meant strictly for transporting to your island resort. Now, they have them nice and groomed and and plowed and marked and all that jazz. So no problem there. Or if, you know, sometimes people might stay at one resort and want to go have a drink at another resort or have dinner at another resort. You can certainly do that as well. But so that that's when you drive up there. Now, the second way is the way we were talking about, Brett, where you, you can stay in Minnesota and you don't need any credentials at all. Take a snowmobile cross. That's a groomed state, uh, state, state and aid snowmobile trail, 42 miles across the lake. There's one that goes up the east side of the lake. There's one that goes up the west side of the lake. So got lots of options as far as snowmobiling up there. And then, of course, if you're snowmobiling up, if you're using your sled for, for ice fishing and transportation reasons, and, and you're, you're good to go. If you uh, feel like you want to mix it up a little bit and do some snowmobiling when you're up there, there's some beautiful trails up there. There's beautiful trails on the south end of Lake of the Woods as well. So a second way to get up there is the Lake of the Woods Passenger Service. Hey, Joe, can we just back up one second? Do you remember yep. the ice chunks that year when we drove oh, up on that trail? It was like incredible. Remember, it was like mountains of ice shooting up into the sky. How high were some of those? I, I 15, 20 feet. I mean, that, it, I, and I just kicked myself that, I mean, we had everything packed up so tightly for that snowmobile trip that we didn't have any cameras. I think we maybe had a GoPro out or something, but the GoPro battery kept dying and we didn't get any footage. It was like driving through the dark crystal or something. Like it was, it was crazy weaving in and out of these giant shards of ice sticking up into the air. It was a pretty wild experience. Well, what, so what had happened is, and every year is different on Lake of the Woods. I mean, this is a big body of water, but what happened is the lake froze. So let's say you had four or five inches of ice, maybe four inches, I suppose. And we had incredible winds, and part of the lake was open. So all that force took that ice and pushed that ice on top of one another. And it just kept pushing up in the air and up in the air. And so there was like minefields. So when normally when you head up there, that trail is straight as can be. And you can just whistle right through it, almost like a highway. In this case, we were weaving back and forth. They had to put the snowmobile trail in between these ice shards. It was almost like uh, almost like being on the moon or something. You know, it was just like a surreal experience. Gorgeous, treacherous. I mean, yeah. for somebody who wanted to be a, a cowboy or cowgirl and not pay attention and go flying with a snowmobile, you're getting yourself in big trouble because there's these ice shards everywhere. But when you followed the trail, you were just fine, but you had to go slower. Yeah, if you got off that trail, there's a good chance you were hitting a big piece of ice. So it was, we stayed on it. It was a cool trip. And uh, yeah, it was 25 below zero or something coming back. So we, we didn't stop to uh, take in the sights other than what we saw as we were driving by them. But it was a neat experience, caught a lot of fish up there. And then, you know, taking some of the trails through the through uh, through the angle up there was, was a pretty neat experience. So, I mean, Lake of the Woods, Joe, gets, gets uh, and the angle for that matter, they get they get all the attention for the fishing, but there's always so many other things you can do up there. It's beautiful. Yeah, you go up there, it just feels different. You know, uh, 
Uh, I mean, one the, the, the final I, me- I mentioned that you you know if you want to go up there and avoid customs, I mentioned snowmobiling. I mentioned the the passenger service with bomber service, but the other one is you can fly up there yeah. and you can land on the ice, a fly in to the northwest angle, and I've done it. It's incredible. You know, if you fly from the south end of Lake of the Woods, it's fifteen minutes. They also fly from South St. Paul. They have custom trips where they'll fly it from any Midwest city, you know, and fly your group up there and land right on the ice if you want. I mean, Brett, that is a cool way. And, and I'll tell you, to see the different groups of fish houses and the expanse of ice from the air really gives you a very different perspective. It's also really cool seeing, the, like, when you're flying over a group of fish houses to see how the resorts have plowed the roads and what and what kind of grid. Um, it's also cool just watch, looking at the snowmobile trails. It's like you're, you're looking down at the snowmobile trails, almost like you're looking at a map on a computer screen or on your phone. Um, it's just a very different perspective. And then, of course, landing on the ice, doing that thing. Here, here's the other thing that's interesting about going to the, the angle is that um, all the resorts up there, y- you don't drive to your fish house. They don't have roads for ice fishing up there. Like I said, it's all for going to your resort. They take you via uh, bombardiers, or different kind of ice transportation. They, they, they haul you to your fish house. So they haul you there in the morning. You... Uh, you catch fish all day long. The ice guys check in there throughout the day, and at about four thirty or give or take, they uh, they pick you up and bring you back in for happy hour. So it's it's really kind of a neat experience. You're going to be fishing a lot more structure up at the Northwest Angle. That's where the Canadian Shield really begins. You know, that's where we talk about the fourteen thousand five hundred and fifty-two islands on Lake of the Woods, and they actually begin right about at the Northwest Angle. So consequently, when you get up there and you're fishing, you, you might be fishing deep mud. But oftentimes, if you're fishing deep mud, you'll be fishing off a rock pile. You might be fishing the base of a rock pile. You might be fishing on top of a rock pile. I got to tell you, last winter, I had some of the best fish I ever had, and they were fishing off of a an underwater point. And this was a, a, a low light. I mean, it was a, it was an early late spot, right? So we'd get there in the morning, and we just whacked fish. And then around 10 o'clock, it'd die. And it would die until about 3, 3 o'clock, and then it would start picking up again. We caught so many fish. But during the day, that would not have been a good spot. So we, we went back to the uh, um, back to the resort. We ended up, uh, oh, I think we did some filming and we, you know, had lunch and uh, just did some different things. And then went back out in the evening. Kind of a cool trip. I'd never done that before where I fished just the morning, just the evening. But otherwise, on a normal situation, you're going to be out there and you're going to be getting your morning bite. You'll get some afternoon takers and then it'll fire up again in the evening. And you, the other thing you'll notice is that when you go up there, your percentage of walleyes versus saugers will be much higher. I think it's because of the the different kind of structure up there. Um, real good chance you'll whack a big pike while you're fishing walleyes just because there's there's a lot of pike up there. Um, you get your jumbos, you get your eel pout. You know, uh, it, it just it's just a very uh, very interesting area amongst the islands to be fishing. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, I like it. And I think my next trip up there, I think I'm going to take that Lake Country Air plane ride to get up there. I want to experience that and see what it's all about. All right, Joe, if people want to learn more about getting up to the Northwest Angle or the Rainy River or the Lake of the Woods in general, where should they go? Check out our website. And that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Come ice fish the famous waters of Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world. Experience full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper house options. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore, Rainy River, and Baudette, the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, Sauger, Perch, and Northern Pike, Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, best fishing anywhere. For more information, log on to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Ice fishing season is here. 
This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybell Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Hi, this is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how you doing? Hey, hey. Uh, this week we are we actually hosted somebody at the house for a couple of days. Hey, we have another in studio guest. This is a rarity. I think uh, third ever. Yeah. Tom Landwehr. Uh, <laughs> David doesn't count. David doesn't count. David's wife counts, though. David, yeah, David. Lindsay so, was here. So it's David's wife, the former DNR commissioner of Minnesota, and now Thomas Hope. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Hope. <laughs> oh, uh, sounds worse. like I'm in good company there. How you doing? Good. All Just right. finished up a little chilly evening goose hunt. But uh, migrators are rolling, so can't complain about that. So you got just a little bit of a southern accent there. It's not real heavy, but you've been spending a lot of time in Minnesota. Did you lose some of your Virginian accent, or is there just not much of that much of an accent there? I don't think I lost much. I don't think I had much to begin with. Um, I'm just not really. It's weird. Like it, you go an hour south of where I'm from, and it gets there's a real southern draw down there, but. Uh, the area that I'm from, no one really has much of a draw at all. So I don't think I've lost much, but I definitely, uh, hopefully I'll never have the full on Minnesota accent. I don't, uh, I'd like to still have a little bit of a draw in there, uh, even if I do spend some more time up here. I mean, after living basically with Corey Loeffler for a couple of years, I'm surprised you don't have a quasi Minnesota Canadian Virginian accent all rolled into one. That'd be a weird one. That'd be a really weird one. But uh, I'm probably getting there. I'm probably, you know, it's going to be such a slow transition that I'm not going to notice. But when I go back home for Christmas or something, everybody's going to be looking at me funny. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably getting there. So, uh, Hoke Outdoors on YouTube, and you've been working uh, with Corey, DRC Call Company. Uh, do you got anything else you want to put out there that you do? No, that's basically that's it. it. I'm yeah, really happy. Just kind of splitting time between those two things. And uh, yeah, getting to work for DRC the last couple of years has been a dream come true. So it's been really fun and I uh, look forward to hopefully continuing it. You have a good following on YouTube. How long have you had your channel? Uh, phew, eight years now, I guess. I've, I've had the channel. I started it. Uh, the day before opening dove, day the day before opening day of dove season in 2014, uh, and didn't really get into it until like my senior year of high school. That's where I really started uh, filming videos. I got a little bit better editing, so had some more time for that. But uh, had it for eight years now. Which gosh, that sounds like a it's a lot longer time than I feel like I've been uh, making videos for. It, and it just it doesn't get any better <laughs> either. <laughs> what made you decide to do a YouTube channel? Uh, well, back in, you know, right when I started it, I just bought a GoPro. I had a, I think I walked into Walmart or something. I had 150 bucks, 200 bucks burning a hole in my pocket. It was right after, you know, summer. I'd been mowing lawns, watering gardens, doing all sorts of stuff all summer. I had a little bit of money burning a hole in my pocket. It's like, yeah, I'll buy a GoPro. I'll start a YouTube channel. I'd seen, you know, the hunting, people were starting to post kind of hunting videos on YouTube up to that point. 
Um, it was pretty much all just kill shot montages. The the loudest, heaviest rock music you could put on there, cranked to 10, and then as many kill shots as you could put in there. But I w- kind of wanted to make uh, videos that encompassed the whole hunt. It wasn't just the kill shot. I'd seen some people dabbling with that. So uh, that was the reason that I really wanted to get into it. And then uh, come my senior year of high school, I got my driver's license and I I didn't really grow up waterfowl hunting. I grew up deer hunting. My dad's a big into deer hunting, uh, did a good bit of turkey hunting, but never really, he, you know, we'd go out for a couple goose hunts every year down at one of his fam, one of his friend's places, but uh, not much duck hunting. So I got my driver's license and kind of uh, went out, bought a kayak and hit the water as many times as I could that year and trying to tried to film as much as I could and kind of been running from there ever since. So explain to our listeners and viewers here what what your channel is all about. What what will they see there? It's mainly waterfowl hunting. I try to branch out um, outside of it and you know sh- do some fishing stuff, some other sort of hunting content. But waterfowl hunting is what I live for. I mean, I'd, I'd say I'm a waterfowl hunting addict. I, mean, I during the months that you can waterfowl hunt, it's pretty much all that I think about. So uh, that's kind of the bread and butter, and I try and film a variety of different waterfowl hunting videos. I try and really do it all. I, I think that's one of my favorite things about waterfowl hunting is there's so many different birds you can hunt, and there's so many different ways you can hunt them. So my goal is just to get out and hunt as many different birds in as, in as many different ways as I can and uh, show the whole process, you know, everything that goes into the hunt, the hunt itself, um, and then also try and show some cooking, you know, some what what goes on after the hunt, cooking, cleaning, all that sort of stuff. You came down here with a kayak, and I mean, we've definitely hunted out of boats and canoes and sneak boats, a lot of sneak boat stuff. I uh, haven't done a lot of the kayak stuff, and and the the time of year that you decided to come down, everything pretty much froze up, except for, the, you know, kind of the major rivers or major waterways, but pretty much everything was pretty locked up. So when you said you are going to come down here and hunt out of a kayak, I mean, we all thought it was kind of cool and also kind of crazy. Yeah. I think I get a, I get a good bit of that and like honestly I'm still on the fence like I don't know if I don't know if I have a lot of confidence with the kayak and I don't well I know I have a lot of confidence with the kayak like I do a lot of crazy stuff with the kayak but I don't know if it's dumb or if I'm just <laughs> crazy enough that I get away with it like I've I on the first day I was down here I floated three miles of river all by myself in 15 degree weather and I mean I'd say that's pretty crazy like not something that your average guy is going to do, but I, I love the adventure of it. Getting on the kayak is the ultimate adventure to me. And, uh, yeah, every time I'm able to get out, especially floating a river in a kayak, there's something really special about it because especially if it's a new stretch of river, you never know what's around the next turn. The next turn is there's some suspense behind it. And we were actually talking about pheasant. We've been pheasant hunting this week and we were talking about the dog working with pheasant hunting and how much suspense there is there when you see the dog getting birdie. And it's that same sort of feeling. That's why I love it. You know, there's something magical about watching 20, 30 mallards hover down over a decoy spread, but there's also something really fun and interesting about floating a river in a kayak. And I've kind of grown to love it. As you were describing that, I was thinking about how I was going to compare that to pheasant hunting, and then you just did it. Like, <laughs> I mean, like we were both going down the same path. He's there, coming for your job. Yeah, <laughs> because y- y- and you're right. And I was thinking about that when you know when we field hunt or or hunt a water spread or whatever, we are sitting in one place basically, and you're, you're waiting for the birds to come to you. And one of the things I like about pheasant hunting so much is that 
you're you're moving constantly and you're seeing new places you're seeing new things you're seeing other wildlife you're not just sitting at the in the same surroundings constantly you're out there and i i like to tell people when i pheasant hunt i'm getting into places that i'd never i'd never go to without being mm. a pheasant hunter yep. and it's a and they're and they're places that 99 percent of the world's population will never step foot in and they're beautiful places they're, they're cool landscapes or you'll or you'll bump a deer like today i almost got run over by a deer like how many people can say that that they had a deer charging at them at about six feet before it decided it didn't want to run over me which i appreciated but you get you get to see things like that and you have that anticipatory the dog is birdie something's gonna happen is the bird gonna flush is it gonna flush in front of the dog is it gonna be behind you know you don't know where it's going to come from and it is like that when you're coming around to bend especially on a river you've never been before uh never been on before you don't know what is coming around that next bend and actually we we used to float rivers uh growing up when we would duck hunt there was a stretch of river that we would do that too and we'd we'd come up to a bend and maybe you'd hear a quack you know or a whistle from a wood duck or something like that and and you would just, you'd have no idea and you would just get real quiet and try to float that canoe and just get it to spin just a little bit when you're coming around the bend so you can sneak up on them. One time we came around the bend and there was a sow and three cubs there. And four, all of a sudden we came around the bend, there were four <laughs> black bears right in front of us. It was kind of scary. <laughs> have you ever run into something, uh, been surprised like that coming around the corner on a, on a um, river? I'd say the weirdest thing that comes to mind, and it was... Kind of sad. We uh, this September we actually came across a deer that I'm pretty sure had um, blue tongue EHD. EHD. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it let us float up five yards from it. It was right down by the water. Um, and from my understanding, that's kind of typical symptoms. They get that. They get a fever and they go straight to the water. And that deer is probably dead the next day. But um, it was kind of interesting to see a deer that would let you get five feet from it. But it, it was definitely. It wasn't in its right mind, so um, saw that. But no, I don't think I've ever seen a bear. Seen a lot of eagles, um, a lot of ospreys on the rivers in Virginia, but uh, never a bear quite yet. So maybe have to go float, do some float hunts in Alaska and see if oh, there you go. can run into oh, a man. big old brown bear. Well, That'd did be you, fun. Did you ever see that clip of? Uh, oh gosh, who was it? I'm pretty sure it's um, what's his name. He was hunting either in the Yukon or Alaska, and they were in a boat and they were floating a river and they got charged by a brown bear or a grizzly bear or whatever it was. And uh, I think that they were, they were with a guide, so maybe it was the Yukon, and the guide had a shoot. I don't think he shot the bear, I think he shot at the bear and mm -hmm. finally scared off, but it came charging into the water. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, that's gonna drive me crazy, but it's in the, in I'm pretty sure it's in the intro of a show. And we've had him on the show, Fred Eichler. It was Fred Eichler, um, he was, he, uh, from Colorado, I think he was up hunting and he had he got charged by like in a boat, like a grizzly bear charging out into the river <laughs> in your boat. Man, yeah, I don't want to go. And in that saw with the three cubs, we were really worried about it because you know she had the cubs there. And yeah, what did she end up doing? I, I scared her off. <laughs> I, I, she she knew it was me. No, I I don't remember, but she turned and ran the other way, thankfully, and we didn't have to deal with it. But that float that you did here on your trip down here, you did see a couple of deer along the river, though. Yeah, yeah, I saw quite a few actually. And uh, when I was launching my kayak, Tony was telling me like. 
you might be pissing off some deer hunters by doing this. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of deer hunters down along the river. So I was kind of being very vigilant for that because I didn't have any orange on me. Obviously, I'm trying to sneak up on waterfowl. I'm not going to wear orange. But uh, I was just, you know, trying to keep my eyes up, eyes up and make sure that I wasn't going to, you know, hug a bank too tight where it might just be some movement that could look like a deer because, uh, you know, just always try to be rather be safe than sorry but i saw i think three or four deer and uh one little buck so i was kind of surprised to see that i'm guessing that the deer hunters probably pushed them down towards the river if i had to guess all right i guess this week has been thomas hoke thank you very much for uh for watching the show thanks thomas we actually have a lot more with thomas that we will bring you next week right here on this show thanks for watching we'll see you next week sporting journal radio is a division of macaba llc if you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com.